You are listening to the weekly message at Woods Chapel Blue Springs, where it doesn't matter who you are or where you are coming from. Everyone is included, accepted, and loved. For more information, please visit us at woodschapelbluesprings.org. Good morning and welcome to Wood Chapel Blue Springs. My name is Michael Scott and I am the pastor. And I know you have a lot of options and choices on Sunday morning. And I just want to thank you for being a part of this community and for being a part of these conversations. Now, over the last few weeks, we've been talking about who and what is God. And now it's a difficult conversation because who and what God is to me looks different than who and what God is to you. And so I've been asking you the question every week, who is God to you? What is God to you? And I actually want you to take a second and to write that down, to type that out if you're watching this on Facebook. Even if it's later in the week, type it out. I go back and read the comments. I'm curious who God is to you. Now, we've been talking about my God is to dot, 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 right? Fill in the blank. Because I spend a lot of time in the community and I spend a lot of time with people who are frustrated with church, who are frustrated with religion, and who are frustrated with God and people who claim to be of God. And so we've been talking about the things that I discuss with other people. And because I hear a lot of things like, your God's too angry, Mike. Your God is too judgmental. He's too distant. He's too small. And so we've been discussing these things. And often what people are telling me is they describe the kind of God that they hear about, either from somebody else, somebody who claims to be of God, or they are describing the kind of God that they've seen in other people. Now, what I mean by that is other Christians or other people of faith, it doesn't have to be Christianity. Faith goes beyond just Christianity. It goes into Judaism and Islam and lots of other kinds of faith. But often they describe to me the way that people behave or the things that they do, that they're frustrated with that. And these people claim to be of God, and so they project people's attitude and their actions onto their God. And so they say things like, I don't think I could be a part of that. I don't like how that person acts. I don't want to be a part of a group of people or a God that is judgmental like that or distant like that. And so the last several weeks, we've been exploring this and digging into it a little bit. Now, Amy started us out. She started us out with this idea that God is not small, but we make God small. We want to make God into what is convenient for us. And so I grew up in my church and we made God a white bearded man in the sky. And when we do that, when we define God, we limit God and we make God smaller than what God really is. Now, the weeks have gone on and they've progressed and we've talked about other attributes of God. So your God is too distant. I talked about where I see God in everything that is happening around us. Uh, people ask me every single day of my life, it happened even today, God, Michael, where is God in this mess that we find ourselves in? Where is God in the struggle? Where is God in all of this ugliness that we see? Where we see opposing sides at each other's throat, trying to cancel each other out, trying to eradicate the other one. And what I say is I do see God in that. You see, I see God in the tension Because somewhere in the tension is the truth. Somewhere in that tension, somewhere in the middle is there's this beautiful thing, this middle ground where we can find commonality. And God is the thing that brings those two sides together. And so when I look for leadership in our country, in our communities, in our churches, in our companies, I always look for people who can bring two kinds of people together. So I don't think God is distant. I don't think God is off somewhere else. I see God in everything that I look at. But I have to find it. I have to be looking for it. And not only do I have to look for it and find it, but I have to take that and I have to want that to grow. I want to be a part of that. I have to choose that. I have to help that to grow in the community around me. 
Now, last week we talked about how God is often perceived as judgmental. And I hopefully invited you into a new space to think of God differently. You see, I don't think God is one of judgment. Now, there's definitely stories where we read about God having judgment on people. But I believe when Jesus comes into this world, that he brings a new idea. That God isn't about judgment, but God is about healing. God is about helping people through their struggle. And God is about taking that struggle and that pain. And once it's been healed, we're then able to use that to help other people. And so we are a community of people that are to heal, to help each other heal. And that thing that allows us to do that, that space, that energy, that connectedness, I call that God. Now, today we're going to talk about how God can be exclusive. Now, I want to ask you a question. I want you to type it in. Have you ever felt like you've been excluded from anything? Now, Christians are known, churches are known for being way too exclusive, that it's all about us and our way. And I want to tell you a story and I want to hear your story. So tell me your stories about how you've been excluded or maybe you've been the person that's excluded somebody else. Maybe you've learned a lesson from that. I love reading your story. So, so tell me about it and share that with others. I'm going to share with you one of my stories. You see, I was one of those people that grew up that thinking my way was the best way. And I've completely gotten over that. I don't struggle with that anymore. I'm kidding. I, I clearly, we all do this. But in my faith and in my religion, I thought that my way was the best way. And what I mean by that is my specific background in religion, the narrative that we use is that we had the fullness of all knowledge and that because we had more knowledge that we were better than others. And so I really thought this. Now I went to a private Christian school growing up. Uh, I was a poor kid around a bunch of other, a lot of them were wealthier than I was. Um, but I went to high school at a, at a Christian school. Now. In this high school, um, we had chapel every day, and uh, a group of us from time to time would get together, and because we thought we were better than everybody else, we would do things where we thought we could be closer to God. And so we would take our lunchtime, and they let us go into a chapel, much like I'm in right now, a room just like this, and we would fast. Of course, fasting is a tradition in the Christian faith where you give up something, often food, and it, you feel hunger and you feel pain. We're actually going to talk about this uh, soon because Lent is getting ready to start where we fast and give up something. But we would fast our lunch. And when we fasted, we would pray. And I would say prayers like this. I would say stuff like, God, you have blessed me with this knowledge. And we are great because of it. And God, allow others to become aware of that knowledge. Um, may they be great like us too. I mean, these are literal things that I used to pray, that I had all the answers. And if only other people could be just like me, then everything would be fine. Of course, I would fast and we would pray and we would read scripture. And those things in and of themselves aren't bad. But my motivations was not that it was making me a better person or that I was trying to include or love or share grace with other people. My motivation was if I did the thing, Right? So if I read the Bible, if I sang the songs, if I said the prayers, if I fasted, that the more times I did that, there was some kind of chart and God was keeping score and it made me a better person. And so I did those things and I did them a lot, right? Now, it, it shaped me. It helped me. I think I can look back now and see value in it. But at the time, I thought it was an equation. And the more of these things I did, the better person I was, the more right I was. And then the, the, it gave me the opportunity to then say, I have the answers. I am right. And you are wrong and you are out. So Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, not heaven, not some far off place, but the kingdom of God is here on earth. It's something that we can participate in right here and now. And all faiths believe that this is something that we're supposed to be a part of, that we can be a part of this kingdom that doesn't eradicate evil, but that where good and evil are at war and there's tensions and they good wins. 
And so I would tell people, you're not going to be in the kingdom of God if you don't fast or if you don't pray the right prayer or if you don't read the Bible the same way that I read it. You see, I was exclusive. I had the answers. I had the best way. And I intentionally hurt people. And I loved that. I loved it because God was exclusive, right? My faith was exclusive. We were special. There was a small elite group of us and we were awesome and we were better than other people. And it was about being better in that, not about what was on the inside. You see, it was, it was surface and it was superficial. And I look back now and, and there's some shame because I shamed other people. I tried to manipulate other people into doing things my way just for the sake of control. And I think this is nothing unique. And I don't think you have to be a person of faith. I think this is human nature. It's in our nature to be exclusive. Now, we call this tribal mindset, right? Uh, the tribalism, that we want to get together and we want to all be on the same team. And that works sometimes. If you've ever been a part of a group and maybe it was a small group and you met somewhere and you were friends and you started to do stuff and your group grew and grew and grew, like a small church that grew and grew and grew. And then at one point, someone's like, well, what do we believe in? And then we have to define what we believe in. And then that's good. But over time, that morphs into something else. And then that definition of what you believe in becomes the dividing line of who is right and who is in and who could be a part of the club and who who is not. And I think that is human nature. Now I love watching, I'm wearing Chiefs gear because we won the Super Bowl last year and I was wearing this outfit. So I'm wearing it again this year. Hopefully we'll win today. Uh, Patty, hope you're playing and uh, we're praying with you, buddy. But uh, I think that it's exciting when we're all on the same team. I mean, who doesn't like watching the Chiefs, right? Chiefs, good. Other team, bad, right? We like that. The problem is that should stay with our sports teams. It shouldn't be included into our faith because the second you include it into your faith, that kind of mindset, that tribalism, that thing where I have the answers and we're good and you're wrong, well, it changes the whole nature of faith. And that, I'm going to make the argument that that is not of God. Now, a lot of those things originate within our faith. So I think it's human nature that we want to exclude. It's human nature that we want to be around people that are like us and, and that their way of life might threaten us. And so we want to push them out, right? We want to say, mm, only like this, only if it looks like me, only if it's white and with blue eyes and brown hair, oh, gray hair, you know, but only if it looks like me. And I, I think there comes a point in time where people agree on stuff and there always comes a point in time. If you ever draw a dividing line, that eventually that dividing line will move and it will move around till eventually it's just you and nobody else. You'll eventually exclude everybody in your life. Now, I believe in a God that's inclusive, a God that wants everybody at the table, a God that says, I love and have grace. And yes, when I love you and have grace, that's going to change your life. You're going to realize that you're a part of something that is much bigger than you are. And when you realize that, when you become aware and self-aware and aware of the needs of people around you, that that begins to change you and you begin to look inward and say, you know what? There are probably things about myself that I need to change. And that's good. And you should want to change, but we shouldn't exclude people who haven't changed or who haven't changed the same way we have. Because our change is not any better than the changes they've made in their life. And you don't know what changes they've made. You know, some of these ideas, because I get asked about this a lot. There's this idea in the Christian world. We call this the rapture, or that there's only a certain number of people that at some given point in time, when God's wrath and judgment is upon us, that are going to be saved, right? Now, I don't even like that definition of saved. My definition of saved is that God invites us into a new way of life. That when we are saved, we are saved from self, 
that we are our worst enemy, that when there's a problem in our life, that the only person that we can change is us. And so to be saved means to be saved from our nature, which is to only care about us and not to include and love and accept those around us. So there's this obscure book in the Bible. It's the last book in our Christian Bible. It's called Revelation. And in this book of Revelation, in three different times, there's this obscure number. And the number is 144,000. And I want, to, and so there are people that think that there's only going to be 144,000 people that'll be saved. Now, of course, this kind of theology actually did not exist until the 1800s. It's something fairly new in the history of Christianity. It didn't exist before then. But I want to read to you from Revelation 7. Um, it talks about there's 144,000 people. So John, John the Revelator, has this vision. He has this dream. And the book of Revelation is about a new heaven and a new earth. Jesus came and he taught us something new. He taught us something different. And it, this book is this artistic and beautiful dream or vision that he had that he's describing what that new heaven and earth look like under these new pretenses of stuff like love your neighbor, love your enemies, love God, right? These things, these paramount things that Jesus taught us. And so he's describing, and it's, a, it's amazing, by the way, there's like dragons and there's horsemen and there's this total apocalyptic, I mean, it's, it's incredible. They should probably, they could probably write a TV series about it and it would be Game of Thronish. But so in the seventh chapter, it talks about how, so, so our history is in Hebrewism and in, in Judaism. And so in Israel, Hebrew Judaism, there were 12 tribes. And it says that all 12 of those tribes will be marked with a seal. Right? So there's, if you've heard of the mark of the beast, this is where it talks about the mark of the beast. And there's also this other mark, this other seal. And so, but each of the 12 tribes will have 12,000 people. And so this number comes. Now, I think John is just like, the show, like 12 tribes they would have known. And he's like 12,000, 12 tribes, 12,000, we'll call it 144,000. Now that's where we get this number from. But it, it shouldn't just stop there because there's this number uh, that all these people will seal 144,000. But if you keep reading, just the next verse, it says, I looked again, right? So he saw all these people, but he said, I looked again, and I saw a huge crowd, too huge to count. Everyone was there, all nations and tribes. Do you hear that? This new earth that he's experiencing has all nations and all tribes, all races, and all languages. And they were standing dressed in white robes and waving palm branches, standing before the throne of the Lamb of the heartily and singing. What's interesting is I like it that people, we all pick and choose. Um, and I think the Bible should be read in context, but people will pick and choose and say that there's only 144,000 people and that our religion, that our faith, that our community says there's only going to be 144,000 people out of, what are we at, 7 billion? I'm not sure. It's just not true. You keep reading and all people, the new earth, the new way of life, this new thing that's coming about that we're currently living into, that Jesus challenged us to be a part of includes all people. Of course, Jesus came and Jesus did radical things. He did crazy things like hang out with tax collectors who were the scum of the earth. He did crazy things like tell stories about their enemies, the Samaritans, and he made them the, the heroes of his stories. He included women in his ministry. I mean, he did radical things. Jesus lived a very inclusive life. Now, I want to read another story from the Bible, because you know, there's a lot of stories in here. And these stories don't necessarily define God, but they describe people's experiences with God. And they describe a life of Jesus who invites us into a place of inclusivity by the way that he lived his life. 
Now, the second part of our Bible is called the New Testament. And most of the New Testament was written by this guy named Paul. Now, Paul was a leader. Paul was a church planter. Paul was a mentor to a lot of people. And most of the things that we read that we call the Bible are actually little short um, letters, words of advice. If, If Paul were here today, it'd be little texts and emails, words of advice that he gave to different people. And so the one I'm going to read from today is Timothy. Timothy was one of his Padawans, one of his apprentices, one of his um, mentees. And he gives good advice to Timothy. Now, he, Paul wasn't writing this to us. Paul was specifically writing to Timothy. But we can, we can look at this and we can read this and we can hear that there is goodness in it, that God can be a part of this. And we can gain wisdom from this letter that Paul wrote to his friend Timothy. And I think it's very good wisdom right now. He says, the first thing I want you to do is pray. That's always a good place to start, right? Pray every way you know how, for everyone you know. Pray especially for rulers and their governments to rule well, so that we can be quietly about our business of living simply in humble contemplation. Now, if that's not a scripture that pertains to us right now, I don't know what is. Uh, For those of you that want to uproar against our current system, I want you to read this. Pray. Pray for your leaders right now. It says, this is the way our Savior God wants us to live. So Paul's telling us the way of life is all about what? Praying for those, because they did not like their government. They did not like their rulers. They were oppressive. They were mean. They killed them. Paul's like, no, even them. And he says this, he wants us to, he wants not only us, but everyone saved. You know, everyone to get to know the truth that we've learned, that there's one God and only one, and only one priest mediator between God and us, Jesus, who offered himself in exchange for every captive held by sin to set them all free. And then he talks about how it's his mission to go and to carry that out, to let people know. Now, is that some special formula that Jesus died and set us free? No, the way that we are set free is by living the example that Jesus taught us to live. That when we look at that, when we realize that, see, Jesus has this weird phrase. He's talking to people one day and he says, you know, um, nobody gets to the father, but through me. And I believe what he's talking about that is that he's not trying to be exclusive and that there's not going to be Christians in heaven. What Jesus is saying is the things that I taught you, these ways, these truth, this life, he uses that language. I am the way, the truth, and the life. That these things that I'm teaching you, they're freeing and they're inclusive of everybody Everybody has a chance to live this kind of life if you listen to my teachings, these radical, crazy teachings that flip the world upside down. You see, this is what Jesus was trying to do. That scripture says it right there, that all, that all might obtain or be a part of or experience salvation, to be saved from hate and hurt and self-inflicting pain, to live a life that is free, one that we attribute to Jesus, to God. You see, that's the kind of God that I believe in. I don't believe in one that picks and chooses. I don't believe that there's some predetermined number of 144,000 people. I believe in a God that opens his arms to everybody, that extends the same kind of grace to me as he does to you. And what that looks like to us is different. So who God is, I'm going to say this over and over again in this series, who God is to me is completely different than who God is to you. You know, I have a friend and he lives around town and he doesn't go to our church, but we'd like to talk about faith and we have a similar faith background. 
And we were talking about faith one day and he had found a church and, and he was going and he was liking it. And he had this amazing experience where he ex- felt like he experienced God. And, and he went to the, the church and he said, you know, I want to be baptized. I want to join this church. And like, great. And they set a date. And, and the morning of his baptism, the morning when he was going to de- de- decide to join that church and to be a part of that faith community, he gets a call from the leadership of the church and says, hey, somebody said that you do this. They didn't agree with something he did in his life. And we just can't allow you to be baptized or to join this church. Oh, my heart was crushed. Really? Really? This all-powerful thing that we call God, this all-powerful thing that, that exerts kindness and generosity and loving and makes us feel that we're connected, we're not allowed Some human gets to make the decision whether or not we are allowed to be a part of that. To me, that is crazy. And I want you to know that this community here and all of you who are a part of it, if you're a part of this conversation, if you're listening to my voice, I need you to know that this is not that kind of community. I met with a person this week and we were talking and he has a completely different faith background. It's not even in Christianity. It's a different faith and we were talking and he's like, I, I love your church. And we come and we listen and we watch and, and we sat down and we were talking. And he's like, you know, I just don't know about God though. I grew up and it was like this. And then, and then you're talking all this crazy talk over here about maybe God looks different and, and trying to stretch me. And, and he, goes, he goes, Mike, I don't know. I don't know what God is. Who is God? And I was like, you know, I don't know either. And that's the beautiful part of it. You see, I don't know. I don't have words that can completely define God. I can only experience God. I can only do things in which I feel like I'm close and connected to something. You see, we began talking and, 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 and this person had been a part of our Lazarus ministry where we go down and we, we have meals with people who are food insecure. And he was talking about that. He's like, oh my gosh, that was amazing. And I felt this energy and I felt connected. And, and these people, when we were talking and sitting down and sharing a meal, I'm like, oh, there it is. You see, you can't define that experience. You can talk about it. You can describe it. You can say what's going on, but you can't define it. You can't put your thumb on exactly what was happening that night. And I said, that, that is God. And I'm proud of this community. I'm proud that you have welcomed people in of all kinds of backgrounds, regardless of race or ethnicity or sexual preference or gender. Like you have welcomed every single person into the space. And he's telling me this. He's like, I don't come from the same background that you do. It's like, and I felt great here. I felt accepted. I didn't feel judged. And the way you talk about God, it just makes sense to me. I hope that all of us are able to describe our experiences with God. I've encouraged you today to to type in, and I want you to do that. Type in an experience that you've had with God. And I bet it's really, really hard to define it, but you could describe it. And maybe when somebody reads that, maybe as you're typing right now, maybe as somebody's reading it later in the week or or next week or next year. You know, we had a video last year that had over 10,000 views on it. You know, people watch this. Maybe your story. Maybe your story will make a difference in their life. Maybe your description of your experience with God will have an effect on them to make them to think, to challenge what they think they know. But I'm proud of you all. You all have made this place an amazing and welcoming place. You know, this week in our country, something amazing happened. Regardless of where you fall on the political spectrum, we elected and swore in our first female and minority vice president. 
Now, I'm not saying I agree with all of their politics. This, this is not a sermon about that. I don't talk about that. I disagree pretty much with both sides. But it's a beautiful thing that a group of people, women, and another group of people, people of different ethnic backgrounds, of different race, that they are now included, that they're now at the table. And that is great progress, and that's a great stride towards inclusion. I look at my daughters and we watch movies about Ruth Bader Ginsburg and the, the, the life that she lived and the things that she did. And I look at Kamala Harris now and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm exciting. My little girls get to see somebody that is at least the same gender as they are that represents who they are. And that's a great leap and a bound. The fact that people can come to this church of a different faith background or sexual orientation and can be a part of this community is great. But I want to tell you that we're not there yet. We're not there as a community. We're not there as Americans we got a long ways to go. And I hope today as you're hearing my words and as you're hearing the words that I've described and read to you out of our, our holy book, our Bible of other people's experiences, I hope this places something, a little seed in your heart, a seed that says, you know what, maybe, maybe my way, maybe the way we've always done it, maybe my exclusion is not the best way. And I hope that seed is able to be planted and I hope it's able to grow. And I hope that as a community and as a country and as Christians, we're able to expand our arms open wide to include everyone around us because everyone is welcome at the table. And if you're a Christian, I hope you hear these words. Hear that it is not your job to exclude or to judge it is your job to include and to love. And if you're listening to this and hearing these words, and maybe you don't have a faith background, maybe you self-describe as atheistic or agnostic, I want you to hear that just because we may not worship in the same way or express ourselves in the same way, our mission and goal is the same, and that is to love those around us, to include those around us, to help the poor and the orphan, the widowed, the imprisoned, and the immigrant. This is our mission and this is our commonality, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat or whether the Bible says it as whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, whether you're poor or rich, white or black, male or female, our common goal is that we help one another, that we love one another and that we include one another. Let's go to God in prayer. God, we thank you for this amazing week in our life, in our community and in our country. God, we have made leaps and bounds, and we made strides towards being inclusive and loving those around us and being inclusive of all races and all genders and ethnicities. God, help us to continue to do those things. God, help us to see people through your eyes, through your lens. God, help us to see that there is something greater going on all around us and that we can be a part of that. But God, we know to be a part of that, there's, just, there's, there's a reflection that looks back at us. It's our own reflection, God. It's that mirror that says there, there are problems in life, that we have problems and struggles, and the only way we can fix and change those problems are by changing us, not by changing others. God, help us always to remember that and help us to be a part of your vision and your will, your love and your grace, and most importantly, your inclusion. God, we lift these things up to you. We open ourselves up to these things, and we pray all of this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. We hope you'll join us again next week.